Our next song is 341.
You may be seated. So how are you doing today? Nice to have you here for worship. Take a Bible. And if you're using the one in the pew, I will actually give you the page reference. We're in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, 3 zero. Deuteronomy, chapter 30, that's on page... 320. And as we open God's Word, we need the help of the Holy Spirit, so let's, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for Jesus, the one altogether lovely. This morning we were learning about, about our God as Creator, and our relationship to you and to one another. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we're separated by many thousands of years from from this event, but I pray that your word will be alive to us, that it will be a living word that will cut through the issues, maybe the blockages in our lives, so that your spirit can have free flow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as you can see in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, we're near the end of the book. It's a book that's quoted many times in the New Testament. There are four or five books that are quoted over and over again, and this is one of them. Some think this was Jesus' favorite book. So that would be an interesting way to start a sermon. You want to hear about Jesus' favorite book? Go to the book of Deuteronomy. Now, I'm not sure if that's true, but that's what some people believe. Now, when we use the word Deuteronomy, or you think of the book of Deuteronomy, and for some of you it will just be a new book, but some of you have studied it before, what words, what words do you associate with Deuteronomy? Give me some key words. Let me hear from you now. Rules? Law? Now, when they say rules and law, you can either smile or frown. So let's start again. Rules. Oh, some forced smiles there. (laughs) And the other one was law. Uh, A little bit more comfortable with that. What else with Deuteronomy? Don't look at the book, Jake. You either know it or you don't know it. Ah, Evelyn, thank you for being, and she sat so close to me. Love, she said. Do you think of Deuteronomy as a love book? Very interesting. Thank you for that. Love, what else? Blessings, yes. Curses, yes. Something over here. Uh, that's a safe one. 
safe one there, huh? Salvation. Yes, that would be, yes. What about the word life? The word life and the word heart. So be looking for not just law, but be looking for love and life and serving God with all of your heart. If this was a book that Jesus quoted a lot, which he did, and, it, and if it's his favorite book, then we should be looking for some of these key ingredients. Let me give you a little bit of background before we get into the text. <clears throat> God, as you know, had brought a nation out of Egypt. So the Israelites had been captives in Egypt and in a miraculous way, as we read in the book of Exodus, God brought them out with a mighty hand, the scriptures teach. But then he had to educate them. He had them to show them what it meant to be his people. And you know, for a long time, they had to spend uh, many valuable years in the desert. Didn't have to be that way. Didn't have to be 40 years. It could have been a quick journey or a long journey. Unfortunately, it was a long journey. And God eventually raised up a new generation of people. So that's the picture I want you to have this morning. And of course, we're starting uh, or fairly new into our new year. So we're just in the month of February. So a new generation about to enter the promised land. That's the setting of what we have. Moses is, is elderly now. He's not going to be on the scene much longer. And Joshua will take over from him. But God has to prepare his people they have to understand very, very clearly in their mind what will give them success in Canaan. Or, alternatively, what will bring failure and disaster in Canaan. And I wonder, as, as Seventh-day Adventists, who talk of ourselves as spiritual Jews or Israelites, I wonder if we're really clear in our mind what it means to be one of God's children. Another key word that you're going to be looking for is the word obedience. Obedience. Now, I don't know if you can smile or frown when it comes to obedience. Usually we, usually we frown when it's someone else's disobedience. We don't usually frown on our own disobedience, but that is also a key word too. Okay, when all of these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you, so what does that mean? Well, God didn't just say, hey, I want you to be my people, and I like the color of your hair and the color of your eyes, and so I'm going to be very special towards you people. He says, no, I've called you out. These are the terms of the agreement or the covenant. So covenant is a very important concept in all of the Bible. Not too long ago, we had a communion service where you're going to hear, when you heard language of the new covenant. So what does that mean? It means that God, if we're going to have a relationship with God, if anyone's going to have a relationship with him, they have to understand the terms of the agreement. 
They have to understand the terms of the covenant. And so what we see near the, near the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we see the covenant being re-emphasized again. And in chapter 29, 28 and 29, it talks about the curses and the blessings. We're not going to have time to go into that, but I just want you to clue you in uh, to this language that's being used here and why it's being used. So they actually had two mountains. And on one mountain, some of the Israelites would declare what the, the blessings would be. And on the other mountain, what the curses. People had to be really really clear what the terms were. All right, so when all of these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey Him with what? We need to emphasize that. With all of your heart. And I would encourage you, as I'm preaching, to look through these verses, as, and we will go through them one by one, and see how many times the word heart crops up. And it is over and over and over again. Not just in this chapter, but in the earlier chapters. For example, if we go to chapter 6, I think it's chapter 6. Let me make sure on that. Beginning of chapter 6. All right, I'm going to start from the beginning. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Probably the book of Deuteronomy just covers a matter of weeks. It's a long book, but it's not covering a long period of time. They're ready to cross the Jordan. Are we ready to cross the Jordan? Are we ready for Jesus to come? Have we done everything we can to hasten His coming? Are people ready? Are we living godly lives? So we can look up into his face and say, Lo, this is our God. We're not going to be running to the rocks and the mountains, are we? These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. To fear the Lord your God means to respect God for who he is. A whole study this, this uh, next or two, three months, January, February, March, is really talking about that. He's the Creator God, the Lord your God. And uh, the Lord your God, as long as you live, by keeping all of His decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. And if you said to most people, do you want long life or short life? Well, they might want to hedge their bets and say, well, what kind of long life and what kind of short life? But most of us would go for long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So there's the covenant again. 
Promises have been made to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, people like that. These promises will be fulfilled somehow, some way. God always keeps his promises. But will this generation, the one about to go into this land flowing with milk and honey, will they be the one to inherit the blessings of the promises or the curses of the promises? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your... Have you heard that before in the New Testament? You know, some Christians are so ignorant of the Old Testament, they say, well, this is a New Testament command. Well, yes, it is. But a whole lot of stuff went on before the New Testament was written, right? And here we are in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, talking about loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. So there it is, very emphatic. Go back now to Deuteronomy chapter 30. So that's the key word also for the book of Deuteronomy, with all or phrase, with all your heart. God does not want surface religion. It doesn't glorify Him. It isn't genuine. It is false. It is phony. And even though we live in a very artificial age, there are many people, especially young people, who are looking for something that works, for something that's genuine, for something that's real, that's not phony. They've had plenty of phony religion. Now what they need is a, is a living experience with Almighty God. Um, verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts. Did I, what verse did I end up in chapter 30? Verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart with all of your soul, and live. There's not a one of us that can keep rules, laws, regulations from God from the heart with all of our affections, with all of our passion that we have, unless God does a heart work on us. So Jesus, when he would see Nicodemus, Godly, sincere Nicodemus, Jesus cut right through and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born of water and of the Spirit. How can this be? Are you a master in Israel and do not understand these things? This is the basic. This is first base. This is ABC, being converted. God has got a moving there with his Holy Spirit and change the human heart. And only then does that individual have the possibility of pleasing God by keeping and doing the will of God from genuinely from the heart and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. And you will again obey the Lord and follow all of his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous 
in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, look at the promises here, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land, the Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers. So here's a definition, partly, of what long life can be like. So if you want long life or short life, well, it depends, Pastor. Give me a bit more information here. What is this long life? Well, it's a prosperous life. Oh, yes, give me some of that. Don't most people want to be prosperous? All right, God is saying, I'm going to make it really, really clear, and it's not the first time he's done it, but we're just dealing with this chapter today. Make it painstakingly clear. If you want long life, if you want to be prosperous, if you want your children to be healthy, if you want every area of your life to be blessed, you do it my way. Do it some other way. The Bible teaches that is the way of death. Now, the other way you may not think of as leading to death. You may think that's the way of religion. That's the way of being a Seventh-day Adventist. You know, there are many people that call themselves Seventh-day Adventist who are not going to be ready when Christ comes back. They're going to be lost. They're going to be running to the rocks and the mountains. What makes you a child of God is not a denominational name. It is a heart conversion that makes you a child of God. God's Spirit has to move right in there and do His work. Then we're part of the family of God. Verse 10, if you obey the Lord your God, so there's obedience again, and keep His commands and decrees that are written in the book of the law, and turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Is it clear? One of the reasons that some people like the book of Deuteronomy is because it is very, very specific in what it's requesting. So we've seen in those few verses the possibility of restoration if it is so that you get dispersed. And hey, don't we see that over and over again in the Old Testament with God's people? They would sin, they would sin, they would rebel, they would rebel, and in the end, judgment and discipline would come from God. They would go to Assyria, they would go to Babylon, or wherever, wherever they were taken. And then after a period of time, they would come to their senses. How did this misfortune, how can we read this Old Testament and read these blessings and be in such a sorry situation? How can that be? So they would come to a spirit of repentance. So repentance is needed and restoration will come. Isn't that grace right there? Isn't that the God of grace right there? He doesn't just abandon us. He brings a spirit of repentance, if possible, and then he will restore. Okay. Now, to me, that seems very, very clear, and it seems to me very, very powerful. But as we read the next few verses, it gets even stronger. Let's go to verse 11. 
Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. So let's just pause there. And let's think it through. God never asks us to do anything without giving us the ability to do it. He's not toying with us. He's not playing games with us. If God says, walk on the water, he's going to make it possible for you to do that. With the Israelites, it was literally a body of water, the red or the reed sea, that was in the way. Somebody, I don't know if it was Moses, but somebody had to have the faith and the belief and the trust to stick their toe in that water and see those waters part. So God's biddings are what? His enablings. This is, a, this is a principle of the universe now. It's all the way through the Bible. Bible says ask, believe, claim, trust, over and over and over again in many different ways. So if we do feel, oh, I don't know about this Christian, I mean, I... I think it would be interesting to sit down and let me write down on a few pages of, of paper the main objections that I hear from people why they can't become Christians. There's really not a lot of objections. Usually you hear the young people, they say, well, when I'm old, I'll go in for this stuff. When you talk with the old people, they say, well, I'm too old to change. Excuses. Is God asking us to do the impossible? No. Obedience, whatever form it takes, is possible for the one who has a relationship, spiritual relationship with God. So this word difficult, it can also mean uh, beyond comprehension or beyond reach. So it's not beyond comprehension. It's not fantasy, this it's not beyond your reach. It's actually right there for you. It's there for the taking if you really want it. It is not up in heaven, verse 12, so that you ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Now, if I said to you, which do you want, life or death, I know what you would answer. Prosperity or destruction? Pretty easy choice, don't you think? And if it's such an easy choice, such an obvious common sense choice, why do so few people seem to catch it? For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commands, His decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to 
possess. So here we see that keeping these laws and regulations and obeying them is really a love response. And don't you think that fits in very, very well with this man who liked the book of Deuteronomy so much, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he said, if you love me, we know that God loves us, right? Hopefully we know that. Not everybody knows that, I realize. But God's people should understand that. So I am, God, I am making the choice. I am God. I am making the choice to love you. Now I want you to make the choice to love me. How do you do that? Well, one way is to keep his commandments. Or in this context here, rules, regulations, laws, or whatever else is being mentioned. Decrees and laws. You will live and you will increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that I will wink at that. I'll just shrug my shoulders and hope it goes away. There is no sin that God is going to ignore. No sin. So we're either going to meet God under the umbrella of blessing, redemption, forgiveness, the blood of Christ, right? Or we're going to meet God in our own strength in our own ability, in our own performance. And what the Scripture here is teaching, that is death, that is destruction, that is annihilation. It is a choice that is absolutely guaranteed to be fatal. Just like drinking poison, cyanide, you just know you're going to die. There's no way around it. So we don't want to be worshiping other gods, do we? And yet we have a tendency to do that. I think there's not a one of us that doesn't have some idol in our life that needs to be dethroned, right? And as we cultivate this relationship with Jesus on a daily basis, as we spend time with God in worship, in Bible study, in sharing the faith, in contemplation, meditation, whatever connects us with God, our desires will change. Those of you that have walked with Jesus for many years, you can attest to that. You know, you're not, you don't feel you, you're where you should be, but you know you've made tremendous progress, and you've seen many giants slayed, so to speak, over the years. And that's the way it should be. The closer, the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more you realize the sin in your life. Well, why should I want to cultivate the relationship if it's just going to show me how bad I really am? Well, it sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? You're, you're actually becoming more godly when you realize your true situation. This morning in our class, we talked, whether it was appropriate or not, I don't know, but we were talking about morality. And I thought, well, let's look at it from a different perspective. Look at 
one of the most sophisticated nations on planet Earth just before the Second World War was Germany. Germany is where you had your operas, where you had uh, a lot of sophistication, a lot of things that society feels are, are good things, important things. And yet, that was the nation that was responsible for annihilating six million people. How can it be? How can you know so much and be so refined and yet behave like beasts and animals to destroy people because they just and classify them as inferior? Can you see the danger of classifying anyone on planet Earth as second class? You know, in India, they have the untouchables. They have their caste system. I don't know how many levels of, of there are in that caste system, but the ones right on the bottom, they are the untouchables. What does it feel like to be known as an untouchable? What's it like for an untouchable child to be growing up? What does it do to their self-esteem to be told and literally kept on the bottom of the trash heap Well, we say, yeah, but that's India. They don't know any better. Well, what about the sophisticated Western world like Germany? Why did they behave the way that they did? How could ordinary people, so-called Christian nation, in quotes, how could they behave that way? Is it Jeremiah that says the human heart, the human heart is dead desperately wicked. Sometimes I think you and I are just a sliver away from doing something really, really bad. Often I think there but for the grace of God go I. We should realize that unless God does a heart transplant, heart restoration on us, we really have no chance of making it. Well, anyway, these verses talk on the, in the negative. If your hearts are turned away, verse 17, I declare to you, you will certainly, no doubt about it, verse 18, be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Now, how could anyone in their right mind not do it God's way after reading verses like that? But the reality is, Many are called, few are chosen. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. In the mouths of two or three witnesses shall something be established, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, please, choose life. Don't go any other way. And I know some of you have, as parents, there are times in your life when you want to tear your hair out. How could my child do something so stupid? Why do they live a life of drugs? Why do they let the tobacco and the alcohol and the pornography and all of these things enslave them? Why? They know better. I brought them up for Seventh-day Adventists. They went to RAA. 
How often do I hear that? And somehow, some way, maybe we will never fully know why, they have chosen the wrong way. You know, in this, in this life, we have a choice. This comes through very, very strongly. It's another word that we could use for the book of Deuteronomy. Choose wisely. God will always give you the best. This is why it's so important for us to understand, and especially to help our children to understand the character of God. What is He really like? Is He really a God of love? Will He always do the best for me, no matter what my situation, even if that's disciplining me? Will He always do the best and the most loving thing and the most caring thing? Yes, He will. That comes over. The whole Bible is trying to teach us that. Of course, when we come to Jesus, Hopefully, most of us see it more clearly with Jesus when we see him healing people and helping people and having compassion on the people. So hopefully, at some point, we can get it into our heads. And if it's hard, ask God. Ask God to help you to understand what he is really like. So you know him experientially. You know he will never, ever dump you. And when you know that, then, then you have a fighting chance of following him the right way. Let's face it, which of us wants to hitch our wagon to a loser? To a God that's going to deceive us? To a God that's going to toy with us? Play games with us? Nobody would want to do that in their right mind. So this God is revealing himself. It's not as clear here as it was when Jesus came, I'll admit that, but it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. There are two choices, two paths, two ways. And as religious as you are, Israelites, think of Seventh-day Adventist there, just the same way. You still have a choice to make. I'll take you in the promised land, but you can go one of two directions when you're there. And most of us who know our Old Testament know what direction most of them went. Well, verse, um, where are we now? Verse 19, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. I love that phrase. The Lord is your life. Now, I don't know if that's a, a best translation, a good translation, uh, or whatever, but it seems pretty good to me that life, everything in life, the very fact that we're born into this world, the fact that we have the opportunity of eternity, the fact that we have the blessings and the prosperousness and the health and the vitality. You know, when we talk about salvation, that's really the best way. You know, we say, well, we have a health message. And I say, yeah, we have a health message. You know what it is? It's the plan of salvation. That's the health message, because that's what salvation means. Remember when we talked about shalom not too long ago? Shalom, well-being, prosperity, peace, but in a way that's much broader and rounder 
than we normally think of. Every area of your life. You know, some of us don't have enough finances, right? Just the rich ones are laughing now. Some of us don't have enough finances, but what if God blesses those finances? Isn't that really what we talk about with the tithing system and with offerings and things like that? Amen. We're not giving these things to God because his, his pockets are empty. We want his kingdom to go forward. We want his work to prosper. And in prospering his work, we are prospered. Now, you can never know that just by hearing someone's story up front here. You've got to step out in faith. You've got to test that. And I've known people that have had I've had a pittance, maybe a young single man living with his parents, not, not living on, I got, used to get five English pounds a week when I, when I was a printer, and I actually didn't think of that as a pittance at the time, but boy, there was one day when I thought I'd lost my, wage, my, my wages, and I went to the bus stop, and I'm like this, where, where, where's my money, where's my paycheck, and I, I went into meltdown, whoops, sorry. I'm just uh, knocking off the hidden camera here. But I know someone in my home church, when I first became an Adventist, I learned this story. And he, I think he had something like one pound. I mean, it was really a small amount of money. And, and, and he just suddenly hears this message on stewardship, and he thinks, I mean, I can't survive on what little pittance I have. But some faithful Seventh-day Adventists encouraged that man, and he started stepping out in faith. And it's just amazing how this man can stand up today and say, the Lord really does bless. Well, I guess it's pretty easy to find stories about finances with that. But what about every area of your life? Your health, your emotional well-being. Uh, your children, one of the blessings for the Israelite is that you will not have deformed children. You'll not, not be having uh, aborted children. They will all be healthy, even your shoes. Now, Nike doesn't want to hear this, but even your shoes will not wear out. Every phase, every... And, and why does God do this? Well, of course, He wants to be good to us, that's for sure. He loves us. But He wants the surrounding nations who the Israelites are to be witnessing to. This is one way of witnessing, by how your life is blessed. Now, you've heard the health and wealth preachers out there. We're not talking about that. So the pastor comes to church in his Rolls Royce, and this is a sign of God's blessing. We're not talking, that's a perversion of a basic truth, that if you're faithful with God, he will be faithful with you, and he will bless you in all areas of our life. But, but he's not guaranteeing that we're going to become multimillionaires, right? I mean, if you can advance his kingdom that way, then why not? But that's not part of the promise. But here, notice it covers everything. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What a powerful chapter. And if you carry on in the next few chapters, it's, it's, it's equally powerful. In fact, this message had to be so understood that they didn't just have mountains where they could call to one another about, 
about the blessings and the curses of the covenant, you'll find if you carry on reading later in the book that Moses put it to, to music. And they actually sang this message. That's one of the reasons why the, the hymnal is so, so helpful. Because even though the, the songs, a lot of them are very old, they have good theology in them. Or at least some of them have really good theology in them. So you can sing what theologically, biblically you're learning in the Word of God. And that is powerful, and that's a great way of memorizing, memorizing the promises of God. All right, in conclusion, we're going to take you to Romans. Well, what does Romans have to do with what we've just read in the book of Deuteronomy? In Romans chapter 10, It has this message, and I'm pretty much going to read it, say just a few words, and then we're going to wrap up. Verse 5, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. So Paul is talking about righteousness. Righteousness can come by way of the law, some, some think. Righteousness can come by faith, which of course is the bi biblical message uh, given to Abraham and so on. So he's talking that through. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. And I believe that's in, um, in Leviticus. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Do you remember we read that in Deuteronomy 30? So he's pulling this from the book of Deuteronomy now. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. So it's not just mouthing it. There's a lot of said Christians. Have you ever, ever heard that phrase before? People that say they're Christians, but they've never been changed. There's no changed life. There's no changed heart. They've never had that heart work done by God. They're still living their petty little Christian, so-called Christian life. It's not real. It's phony. And they have just enough church in them to solve their consciences, but not enough Christ and the Holy Spirit to, to live the rest of the week, even the rest of that so-called holy day, which for many is Sunday, uh, in a way that's pleasing to God. When Jesus says, I will spew you out of my mouth, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about phony Christianity, stuff that calls itself and uses Christ's name. I mean, that's blasphemy. If you think about it, that's blasphemy to claim that you're a follower of Christ and you're a Christian without having this heart uh, transformation take place. And unfortunately, when it comes to the Jewish people, and Paul argues this in Romans chapter 10, they tried to please God all the wrong way. They did not abide by the terms of the covenant. They did not do it God's way. It was in the flesh, not in the spirit. It was not righteousness by faith, by trust, by obedience in God. It was some other way. So it's not just mouthing it, even though that can be important to do that. 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Most of us here would say yes. And this probably was an early Christian confession. Maybe at their baptisms they were asked to repeat this. But we know the repetition and saying the words doesn't necessarily change the heart. The will, the heart has to be open to God that he can come in and take over. When that happens in a person's life, whether they know that they're Christians or not, and that is possible, I'm sure it's possible, it's almost my experience, I knew very little about Christianity when God took possession of, of my, my heart. I certainly didn't know about being born again and all, all of this sort of thing. But it doesn't matter if, if, if you're open and receptive, God can, can knock on the door and the door opens, then he steps right in. And when he steps right in, he does his master surgical work on the heart, and you're in the family of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's really got virtually nothing to do with coming to a church building. They probably didn't even have church buildings um, in early Christianity. A lot of it was in, in the homes. But the important thing is that we're born of the Spirit. And if we had time to go into Jeremiah 31, verse 31, and Ezekiel 37, that's exactly what you find, the new covenant. Yes, I'll forgive their sins, but it's not just that. I'll give them a heart, and I'll put my law into their hearts. And then, and only then, can they live a life that is pleasing to me. Then I will bless, then I will prosper, and so on. So let's finish with this in Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Anyone who puts their trust, anyone here this morning, man, woman, boy, or girl, who puts their total trust in Jesus Christ, shall and indeed will be saved. Nobody has to leave this building today a lost person. Is that clear? Was it clear in Deuteronomy? Let's thank God. Gracious God, we thank you for the sweet work of the Holy Spirit. And though he hasn't been named very much this morning, we know that you as God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ send him to do this important heart work on each one of us. Lord, we have seen with the Israelites how, what a tremendous, tremendously important thing this was for you. Genuine spirituality, real conversion, born from above. And Lord, I pray that it will... That, is the experience of every one of us here, those of us that have been converted, Lord, we thank you for doing this to us. Give us the, the willingness, the passion, the vitality. Do everything we can, Lord, everything that your spirit can enlighten us to advance your kingdom. Lord, we're not trying to be like one another. We're trying to be like Jesus. In his precious name, we thank you for saving us. Amen.